please tell me there's a slinky convention, please? If there were, it would take place on the escalator of some hotel. There's people walking down the escalator for the entire week. Yay! Welcome back to another episode of 1980s Now, a weekly examination of the importance of 1980s pop culture and its influence today. My name is Will, and joining me as always are my friends and co-hosts, Kat and John. Hello. Hi, guys. Hey there. How's it going? It's going well. Hey, on today, it's going well. Oh, for today's show. Let me remember to remind folks, as I'm reminded by John's Mm. ball cap here. Don't forget (laughs) to check out John's Mm -hmm. other podcast, the one that he hosts with his uh, buddies, uh, Mo and George. I'm sure George is probably uh-huh. a perfectly nice guy in, in person. <laughs> Gen X grown up. Yeah, go listen to that. Yeah, thank you. I'm trying to start a, a war between, you know, George, like trying to get some kind of like, you know, uh, fictional uh-huh. static or something. You know, this seems like mm-hmm. this would be popular in music. They would do that or, t- you know, fake uh, battle or, you know, gripes, yeah. grievances. Create uh-huh. beef. Yeah. <laughs> we'll both start recording yep. disc records and then so he'll respond right. record a response record and it'll be a celebrity <laughs> death match at Southern Fried Gaming Expo this year. Yeah. Oh. All right. Yeah. Wait, are we claymation or is it real though? <laughs> Which one is less work? <laughs> just, I guess just getting in the ring. <laughs> Maybe mud wrestling. Could we fill a pool with something? Yep. Hey, nobody yep. wants to see mm. it. Hey, on today's show, we're gonna determine where all the saxes went. And this is a suggestion that comes to us. Well, first, I guess I had been researching it, trying to get a guest. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a couple of folks I had reached out to, maybe two or three, and no one, either they will get back to you or <laughs> they say no. But, and I sort of put it on the drawer and thought, not, you know, this, nothing's going to happen with this. But then our multi-hyphenate uh, uh, friend hyphen, uh-huh. listener hyphen, uh, patron uh, hyphen, uh, occasional Cat, one hit wonder helper. <laughs> Keith Sheehan uh, suggested we do an episode about saxes in the 1980s. And we were like, let's figure out a 1980s now way to do it. Yes. Uh, so thank you so much for that, Keith. Thanks, so, Keith. Look, saxes Thanks, were Keith. ubiquitous. One of my favorite words throughout the 1980s. Mm-hmm. Popular music, TV show themes, movie scores, uh, commercials, uh, some people's houses, I'm sure. Yes. Stop <laughs> practicing already. It's late. <laughs> And we're also going to discuss some of the best sax solos from the 1980s as determined by you Mm -hmm. and some other things too. But before that, we're going to review current news stories related to 1980s media, including Mm -hmm. Mellencamp melts down, Bridges (gasps) jokes, Ariel floats. Mm -hmm. Those are all. Oh, wow. Nice. uh, I don't know. Rhythm there. Parallel. Mm -hmm meter or something like that. Is that kind of a, is that kind of a haiku, haiku yeah. sort of uh, one, two, iambic three. pentameter? What are you doing there, Shakespeare? Well done. <laughs> three. Two, three, four, five, six, seven. No, it turns out it's nothing. Uh, time codes are in the show notes if you'd like to skip around. Okay, hey, before we do any of that, though, a uh, brief announcement. Hey, check out my mm-hmm. appearance on the podcast Too Much CGI. Oh. Uh, I chat with the, the hosts, Bill and Scott, about mm-hmm. a number of items from the 1980s. And mm. I'll tell you guys this. I yeah. couldn't help myself. At some point in the show... Oh. I do surprise them with the game Ooh. and challenge them with some questions. And, and the questions are related to CGI because I give them a hard time because, you know, I listen to their show and it's called Too Much CGI. And I've never heard uh-huh. an episode about CGI. There's, in their show, there's not nearly too much CGI. Right? There's not too much. <laughs> not, enough say, not enough CGI. Yeah, no in their CGI. Too much CGI show. <laughs> Renaming. Needed. You know, they're trying to be part of the solution. There's too mm-hmm. much out there, so none in the show. They're really just helping. I'm trying to think. Like, what could we name this show that would be so count... Uh, uh, the best ketchups. 
I, I don't know, something like that. The best ketchup <laughs> flavors. And you listen, it's about 1980s pop culture. I mean, and it's, yeah. <laughs> anyway, they do, have, they do have somewhat of an explanation, although I do think I give them a hard time for that too. But meanwhile, uh, Bill and Scott are fun guys and it was a good to chat mm-hmm. with them. Well, I'm They're, a little jealous. They got a quiz. I feel like I've been neglected lately. I've not been surprised with the game in quite some time. Mm. Same. And Same. then- and then you packed up a game and took it down the street to the competition. Okay. That's actually really funny to hear you say you're longing for a game, John. I'll keep that in mind, John. I'll we'll see longing what I can do. Quiz. I'm not going to accommodate you. Okay. And it has to be about a game that <laughs> Thank you, you. you'd know very little about, of course, because we always aim to embarrass you. We know that. Oh, okay. Thanks for that. <laughs> at some point, we'll start promoting our appearance at uh, Southern Fried Gaming Expo, but I don't know. It's probably too far out now, right? But we're Can't start. I think it just did. Okay. I mean, we're, I guess in brief, we're all going to be there. John and his Jennings crew. It was very backhanded crew, way. 1980s now crew is going to be there. We're all going to be doing panels. Mm-hmm. John's doing, I think, three panels now, right? Yeah, three total. Wow. Two for GXG yeah. and one for 1980s now. Yeah. So I'll be good and busy. So plenty yes. of opportunities to sit in the audience there and participate in our shows. Uh, for 1980s mm-hmm. now in mm-hmm. particular, we're going to be doing a, a true crime episode, really. I mean, sort of. Crime in quotes, <laughs> and it's always in quotes, but sometimes there's actual crimes. <laughs> This isn't a crime so much as it's a travesty. It, it is. That's exactly what I was about yeah. to say. Well, the great minds think alike. Uh, and we'll yeah. tell you I'm more. This one after my own heart. So I'm excited that you chose it, Will. And our, our good buddy <laughs> George Krupski is helping us so write that and put it together. And we'll tell you more about Yay. it as we get closer. All right. Hey. Excited. Let's get caught up on 1980s news. Because there's lots of interesting news stories. Okay. Hey. Yes. As reported on the Mary Sue. Jeff Bridges makes perfect video game joke. End of line. Uh, uh, so recently at a Hollywood Reporter roundtable for actors that included Bridges was there. Uh, mm-hmm, uh, Pedro mm-hmm. Pascal, you know, the Mandalorian. He's also in The yeah. Last of Us. Uh, mm-hmm. Kieran Culkin, Michael Imperioli, Evan Peters. Some other folks, they started talking about video games, primarily because Pascal stars in The Last of Us, as I mentioned. Are either of you watching mm-hmm. that? No, I want to, but I haven't made time yep. yet. I have. It's it's very mm-hmm. good. Yep. It's just I suffer from too much junk to watch itis, and I just keep falling <laughs> off the wagon and moving on to the next thing. But I want to go mm. back to it. I'm probably about three from the end, but I enjoy oh, it. Oh, and certainly I didn't play The Last of Us. I tried a demo, I think, and played it for all of three minutes mm-hmm. or something like that. But um, right. it's from mm-hmm. everything I've read and seen and from fans that I know. It seems to be a very mm-hmm. faithful adaptation. It takes some liberties, mm-hmm. but liberties that make the story more compelling, interesting, richer, and uh, mm-hmm. maybe, so therefore, maybe the best video game adaptation ever. Ooh. But uh, speaking mm-hmm. of uh, video game uh, movies related to video games, they were talking about playing video games and getting addicted to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Pedro Pascal was speaking specifically about how he want, he needs to avoid them. And he tried Last of Us, but he has to avoid mm-hmm. getting sucked in because as he says, you know, he mm-hmm. has, uh, it's it's very easy for him to look for reasons not to leave his house. Like Will, right? <laughs> yes, I thought that too. It doesn't have to be video games. It could be a lot of things for me. You can find Whatever. any reason. Like it's a Tuesday. But when this- <laughs> The pickle ex- jar's full, whatever it is. <laughs> when this exchange between uh, Pascal and Bridges occurred. So you played it after you filmed it or? I tried to play it. I can't play it. Okay. <laughs> what game, what game is it? It's called The Last of Us. Last of Us. Is and it they out adapted now? It into, oh my yeah. God. A few years ago, yeah. Because I got sucked into a video. Which game, one? You know, Prawn. Uh-huh. Tron, of course. Of course. Man, I, oh, One of the yeah. original video game adaptations. Right, man. That movie came out when they were So, <laughs> of course, Bridges was, he was, I think he was trying to accomplish a joke that I think is a fantastic joke. It that is. By their reaction to me, fell flat <laughs> on a bunch of folks that are younger than this group here. That are younger, yeah. yes. That yeah. literally had to ask Jeff Bridges, the star of like, I don't know, was it the first video game related movie? 
Maybe. Mm-hmm. I would say Probably. so. Now he was, he was making it sound as if he got sucked into a video game. He was playing at home, which of course mm-hmm. is what makes it funny. But yes. They didn't even get it. They had to ask him. <laughs> uh, uh, kids these days. Did he explain it? Like, did it ever come up as, Hey guys, you missed, <laughs> you missed this. Do you know uh, if that happened? But you can hear the audience tittering. So it tells me there's some extras <gasps> in the audience who caught it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the yeah. round table, your Kieran McCulkins of the world. Yeah. I'm sure mm-hmm. it was like, mm-hmm. haven't played Tron. What's that? And the remaining, the remainder of the exchange, I feel like they're talking to him as if he's some doddering old, you know, grandpa who, Oh man. Oh, what was that? Oh yeah. You, you were in a movie. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> Do they think he forgot and can't separate reality from fiction any longer? I, mean, <laughs> I was trapped in the game yeah. in my youth. <laughs> I mean, he does. He does go on to explain. Yes, I shot a movie, and he says I, it was on seventy millimeter. It was shot in black and white. It was hand painted by some ladies in Korea to make it look. You know, they add the color. Mm-hmm. Some of the techniques that were involved, and they sort of pivot to a different mm-hmm. subject right away. Of course, Tron okay. is the nineteen eighty two American science fiction adventure written and directed by Steven Lisberger from a story by Lisberger and Bonnie McBird. Mm-hmm. Stars Jeff Bridges as uh, Kevin Flynn, a computer programmer and video game developer who's transported inside. Well, really sucked in, as he says. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because he's he's at odds in the real world with a computer. And so the computer yes. wants needs to do away with him. So sucks him into its world where it's, you know, the, <laughs> the overlord, the ruler, the uh emperor. Uh played wonderfully mm-hmm. by David Warner, who popped in popped up in so many things in the nineteen eighties as somebody that you yeah. just felt uncomfortable mm-hmm. watching. You know, he's just a great, <laughs> delicious bad guy. Uh also Bruce Boxleitner and, and Cindy Morgan, who we chatted with a long time ago. I love that film. And I, I watched it not too long ago. I don't think it's as as mm-hmm. exciting as I remembered it. As charming and mm-hmm. exciting and thrilling as it was when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's the effects. I think it's more about the pace. I haven't watched it in a yeah. very long time. We did a show on it last year, the year before last. It was some anniversary of Tron, whatever it was. Anyway, we talked about it on mm-hmm. our show and I hadn't watched it in a long time either. And I made the same complaint this time that I made when I watched it the first time, which is uh-huh. I had trouble following the plot and mm-hmm. I was of course roasted for having reporting any, any fallacy on behalf of Tron is oh. sacrilege, but I have now, of course I understand the plot, but I remember the first time seeing it, I'm like, so who are these people? And why is that character sometimes on a computer and sometimes not? I didn't understand right. the whole, the, uh, the yin yang of the user oh. and the program and mm-hmm. how, you know, like box lighter was in two places. Right. I'm like, well, which one is he anyway? Uh-huh. Like mm-hmm. they didn't draw you a picture. Mm-hmm. On a subsequent viewing, it's very, very obvious, but it, it's really just looking at the different methods that they use to do what they couldn't do with CGI back. There's a little bit of CGI, but there's a lot of, as you said, there's hand-drawn stuff. There's a lot of reflective yeah. tape shot in high contrast. There's mm-hmm. some Disney-style animation in it. And you know now that would just all be CGI. And I, I'm more interested now in looking at documentaries of how do they accomplish that without mm-hmm. the modern technologies? Yep. And it's really cool. All right. Hey, another 1980s news. And as reported- Wait, 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 yeah. wait. Did we not finish wait. that? Wait, I want to end the Tron section oh, okay, by going, go. Great, end of line. Thank you. Very creepy. <laughs> hey, John, did you ever catch that Pac-Man Easter egg in that scene? Well, not that scene, in that movie? Of course. Okay. Right. Of course. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, that, yeah. You could have that. Who you didn't? You could have that for a, for a video <laughs> or a reel. That's yours. There we go. Um, I'll use it. There you go. In other 1980s news, as reported by Ultimate Classic Rock, John Mellencamp tells fans, shut the fuck up. Oh my goodness. It's like what you want to hear when you spend, you know, $200 to go to a concert. <laughs> and this is a story. So Ugh. I feel his pain, I suppose. But here's what happened. So hmm. Camp, this probably doesn't surprise a whole lot of folks that are familiar with him because he's always been cantankerous. You know, he's been a guy who mm. gets things the way he wants them and he doesn't have to accept them any other way. And he's been sort of uh-huh. known to have these, uh, you know, outbursts in the past. 
Well, uh-huh. this, you know, so again, his display on, on May 25th at a concert in Cleveland should come as no surprise. Uh, making oh a stop at Playhouse Square, which is not too far from where I live here, uh, as part oh. of his ongoing live and in-person tour, they outlined expectations for the audience well before Mellencamp appeared. According to Cleveland Scene, by the way, you can check out their interview with me from a couple of months ago. But according to <laughs> Johnny Need Your Horns, according to Cleveland Seed, the venue Where's my phone? He, he's looking as quickly as he can. Bah, bah, bah. Yes, okay. The venue posted sign in its lobbies that warned, quote, this this show respects theater etiquette, end quote. Now, understanding what happens later in the story. You'd have to know what that means, first of all. So if you're coming to see uh-huh. a concert at what otherwise is a theater, because they have, you know, the Broadway tours are in this theater often. They have other okay. concerts, mm-hmm. comedians, et cetera. But sure. if you're going there for a concert, and I'm, I'm guessing folks that the way they behave there, mm-hmm. uh, they're used to going to concerts and other types of venues. They might not know what theater etiquette is. So, you know, already. Right. right. It's like business casual. Is it, do I have to have a tie? Mm-hmm. Is exactly. it slacks? Yeah. Got to do jeans and loafers? Mm-hmm. What's, what exactly are the rules? You, you remind me, my wife and I went to a wedding a couple of months ago and it said, we swore the invitation mm-hmm. said casual chic. And we Googled oh. casual chic because we didn't know what that meant. And the men came yeah. up mm-hmm. wearing mesh shirts, you know, like we like some heavy metal rockers oh. over in the 80s, like a mesh okay. shirt and nothing underneath. Whoa. And like, <laughs> like cargo pants or push-up pants. I was like, I so guess i So is I'm, that what you wore? Absolutely. Yeah. I knew the rules yeah, and I respected good. them. Good. Oh, no. Yeah. It turns Ooh. out it just said casual. Chic wasn't in there, so. Chic was not mistake. part of it. But, so, um, so then. Real missed opportunity. <laughs> following uh, the 30-minute classic movie montage that apparently opens his uh, t- tour, Mellencamp let it be known early in his set that, quote, I don't like people screaming from the fucking audience, end quote. Ooh. Now, oh. I'm going to add, Uh-oh. you know, whatever intonations I think are appropriate. He may have said this very calmly and happily. Uh-huh. I don't know. Uh, but when Mellencamp suggested the country needs to take better care of those with mental health challenges, a ticket holder shouted at, okay. at him to, quote, just play the fucking music. End quote. <laughs> okay. So Mellencamp okay. responded in kind. Listen, hey, you guys, if these people don't shut the fuck up, I'm going to leave. Okay. Because I'm oh not used goodness. to this crap. Look, guys, if I wanted to play in this type of drunken environment, I'd play outside or I'd play in an arena. End quote. First bravissimo on the performance. Well done on your melon Thank camp. you. Very happy. Huh, but it's a concert. Mm-hmm. So, and, and people get excited. Like, I've, I've been to a concert in a small theater okay. in New Jersey, the Count Basie Theater. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. people, they were all older than me. <laughs> but, and they were really excited. Mm. And there was whooping. And yelling and, and everyone was okay with that. And play the fucking music? <laughs> no, nobody said, no, nobody had to say, no, I mean, th- there was um, excitement over like the concert. Mm-hmm. So, or, or maybe I'm, I'm misreading the situation here. Was he annoyed that people were excited that he was performing or? It, well, or, I, I, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, Kat, I came hmm. into this article ready to, to, to roast Mellencamp. Because okay. I'm like, well, here's a guy that's earning money he doesn't need. He could just walk mm-hmm. out on it, doesn't care about the fans or whatever. Mm-hmm. But the actual, it's like being heckled. You know, <laughs> it's one thing somebody's going, woo, it's something else. If you right. scream and just play the fucking music. Well, At that point, I, I'm John yeah. Damn Mellencamp. Right. If, if I want to just walk off, I can. I'll make rent. Yeah, 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 right? yeah. He's, he's, not, yeah. he's not hurting for the money from that show. So I, I, it does sound like he wasn't upset that people were excited and hooting and hollering. Okay. It's All that right, they- yeah. You know, that he was heckling the actual artist and mm-hmm. 
And he probably wasn't wearing a mesh shirt as prescribed by theater <laughs> etiquette. Right. Yes. There you go. All right. So maybe, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to like figure out the sequence thing, mm. the yeah. sequencing here. So yeah, I would be upset too if somebody yelled that. I, yep. I wouldn't, yep. I wouldn't want to stay. Right. But I, but I was wondering, well, what mm-hmm. led up to With that? With the live show and Kat starts rambling like, Kat, just do the fucking podcast. <laughs> How would you feel? I think John might stand up at that point, exchange words with somebody. Oh, you don't get my little sister's face. You go through me. I'm, I'm going to be like, mm, yes. Get up. Will's going to pay someone to heckle cat. Yeah. Hey, I'll give you 20 bucks to take a punch because you're going to get punched. Well, yes. you know, what? Look, I, I agree with John. I was, I felt the same way. And cat, but, mm-hmm. but it turns out sort of, I think both of you were right and wrong at the same time. Cause it turns out this is something that he does at all concerts. So he's, I guess he must be okay. playing these smaller venues and doing it differently. I always mm-hmm. get to feel okay. a question whether he's by himself and doing it acoustically, because I think if the band okay. was rocking out, you could shout anything and you wouldn't hear them. But mm-hmm. uh, sure. apparently during a yeah. performance okay. in March at the Grand uh, Prairie in Texas, he told the crowd mm-hmm. before the, oh, here you go. Before the mid show acoustic portion, <laughs> he uh-huh. told the crowd, quote, this is the quiet part. So keep your fucking mouth shut. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> so he's wow. preemptively antagonistic. I mean, he's starting right. it. it. It's still money he doesn't need, right? He doesn't care if you're upset with him. Yeah. You walk mm-hmm. out, you make him walk out. He's probably already gotten paid. And then yeah, during yeah, this yeah. concert, okay. uh, uh, when a woman in the audience promptly broke the singer's rule and shouted out his name, Mellencamp fired back. What did I just fucking say? But thank you. <laughs> but thank you. <laughs> Lighten up, Cougar. Anyway, so relax. He launched this uh, live and in-person tour in February. The 76 date trek is scheduled to conclude on January 24th in South Bend, Indiana. And he just released his 25th album, Orpheus Descending, on June 2nd. Uh, the inter- his interest in caring for others, which seemed to prompt this one guy to be, you know, shout mm-hmm. out, just to play the fucking music. Mm-hmm. Should also not be a surprise to his fans, much like his uh, attitude, because the 71-year-old songwriter on this new album, on one track, pleads for an end to gun mm-hmm. violence on the album's lead okay. single, Hey God, and laments the homelessness crisis on the follow-up single, yeah. The Eyes of Portland. You know, if you if you see me in public and scream my name, I'm just happy you know who I am. I'm not going to be <laughs> upset. And finally, in other 1980s news, and as mm-hmm. reported by Deadline, there's mm-hmm. something fishy overseas as The Little Mermaid is beset by review bombing huh. and I, I want to talk about this because i hate this practice this is just so millennial gen z i just again i can't imagine gen xers doing this kind of shit but maybe i can't yeah the world's going to shit i don't know anyway so here's, oh, the, no. here's the facts you guys can tell me what you think about it <laughs> okay the good news for disney's live action a little uh, or take on the little mermaid is that it's it's doing well at the box office Yay. had a three-day opening of 95.5 million dollars and a, mm-hmm. a four-day projection of 117.5 million dollars there's probably other numbers out now by the time you're hearing this yeah and internationally which it, what they didn't expect it would do well internationally and mm-hmm. I, i'm not sure why? Mm. Except what you're about to learn, maybe that's the answer. <laughs> so the international box, box office was only $68 million, which again, which which okay. was low for films generally, but they didn't expect it to do well overseas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so on, on Rotten Tomatoes, this uh, film, which was directed by Rob Marshall, has a 95% verified audience score, wow. which is fantastic. Yes. But- uh, overseas websites, including IMDb in the UK, Brazil, and Mexico, as well as I'm going to say Allo Cine or Allo Cine. I don't know how to say. How do you say Cine in, Fran- in French? I don't know. Oh. Cine. Allo Cine. Cine. Probably. Yeah. Allo Cine. In France, they posted advisories during the rollout when negative user reviews appeared in questionable abundance. Hmm. Uh, in France, Allo Cine. 
wrote, <laughs> uh, we are currently observing an unusual distribution of scores, which demands the need for caution. We encourage you to make up your own mind about the film. And quote, <laughs> while it's not unprecedented for a, a, you know, a site or publication to make these kinds of commentary, mm-hmm. it's rare. Now, to be fair, some critics uh, overseas or in France, for example, didn't like the movie. You know, they gave yeah. it one star. Mm-hmm. But we're talking about hundreds of thousands of people giving it one star or less if they can. Wow. Yeah. It's suspected probably most of these people didn't see the movie. They're mm-hmm. just doing this, which is a practice mm-hmm. has happened to other Marvel films. I think it's when Brie Larson was Captain Marvel. Or, wow. It seems often, you know, mm-hmm. it's when they don't like something the studio's done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nothing to do with the movie. Yeah. The 2016 Ghostbusters suffered that same fate. That's, yes. Mm. That's what I was thinking of. And, and before you go further, Will, let me just, just for, yeah. just for edutainment of the audience, let me tell you just a very mm. brief anecdote. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. born in 1969, Mm-hmm. have yeah. never seen any of the live action remakes of any of the Disney animated films. Not because I'm morally mm-hmm. opposed. I just like yeah, the animated, yeah. never got around to them. Mm-hmm. And yet I've never posted a review. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so it is possible to not care about something and yeah. also yes. not go and actively attack it. It is possible. Yes. You're a good role model, John. <laughs> oh, You can just ignore it. It works great. It works good for me. Yes. <laughs> We need these examples. Yes, yes. Well, even IMDb uh, in the U.S. and, and, and Canada, as, as well as the, the sites uh, for the U.K., Brazil, and Mexico, mm-hmm. posted a warning saying, our rating mechanism has detected unusual voting activity on this title. To preserve the right reliability of our rating system, an mm-hmm. alternate weighting calculation has been applied. End quote. Wow. So they spotted these things coming in, again, in great abundance. Usually they're coordinated somehow. Yeah. Uh, they're probably bots participating. Mm. It's easy for computers now to determine, all right, this activity is what we expect from humans. This is way out of the ballpark. Mm-hmm. Um, so they took action. Now, some of, again, I was curious as to why they anticipated it wouldn't do well overseas and more so why do most of these attacks seem to be coming from overseas? Yeah. I know the backlash we, we heard in the, in the U.S. just because uh, we had a, 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 a woman that's uh, of African-American descent mm-hmm. cast mm-hmm. Uh, as the mermaid, mm-hmm. whatever, who cares? Yeah. Uh, but I didn't know if that would be it. In fact, I was, I was anticipating maybe the mythological aspects of it might be problematic for some countries. I know I can't mm-hmm. remember it China or Japan have okay. a problem with witches in movies or ghosts or something, you know, that kind of thing. You don't yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. But um, while some of the gripes were about just to seem to be about the quality of the movie, including the lighting, which was uh, apparently hmm. rather murky in scenes, it's underwater. It is. Under- <laughs> murky is a great word to use for under uh, the sea. <laughs> but uh, in, in some pockets of the world, the, 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 the commentary has just been racially tinged. Isn't that bizarre for a mythical character to be upset about its race like well actually pegasus is not a palomino yeah like there's no pegasus therefore it doesn't matter if it's a palomino right exactly Mm -hmm. i'm sorry if you're just hearing it the first time there's no pegasus but it's true i'm gonna cry sorry cat we talked about this when they you know when this announcement of this the casting was first i mean seriously people yep 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 stupid but so anyway, it, this practice again, I'm hoping it's the younger idiots in their uh, elders in their lives will get a hold of them. But uh, quite honestly, I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> I don't think that if it hasn't happened now. It's, it's, right. now. If they had mm. elders in their lives to straighten them out, they wouldn't be posting these bullshit reviews in the first mm. place. Yeah. 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 I just realized at, at some point during this story, mm-hmm. someone has to shout out, just do the fucking podcast. <gasps> because we're, we're pontificating. Uh, I volunteer. <laughs> yeah, it's not going to be me. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, right. <laughs> now, so look, while that's terrible as it is, I did find this other, while, while researching this story, I did find this other type of criticism 
interesting to me. Now, mm. I'll just say this is a caveat right now. I'm a man. Mm -hmm. John identifies as a man as well. Cat mm -hmm. mm -hmm. is, is a female. Mm -hmm. So I understand that I'm talking from the perspective of a man. So Cat, yeah. I, I want your feedback on this. Sure. And I know that what I can say is, is limited and I, I get all that. <laughs> um, so just to tell you the facts here, this other type of criticism I'm referring to is typified by a comment made by actor and singer Paloma Faith. I don't know who okay. Paloma Faith is. Apparently mm. she's a singer and she also has a role on Gotham, mm. which I've never seen. Okay. But she, she tweeted after seeing the film, quote, just seen the new Little Mermaid with my kids. Mm -hmm. And while I think Hallie gives a good performance in its great casting mm -hmm. as a mother of girls, I don't want my kids to think it's okay to give up your entire voice and your powers to love a man. What the fuck is this shit? Not what I want to be teaching next gen women at all, end quote. And when I read that, I was like, mm. oh, wait a second. Mm. <laughs> That's right. And I haven't seen the new movie, but in the original cartoon, yeah. She's told if you want to find love, you have to give up your voice, you know, and you'll right. get your legs. With that prince, certainly. By who? Yeah. Who is she told by, though? Who? Ursula, yeah. the sea witch. The villain huh? <laughs> who, mm. who manipulates her. What's this? Bad people lie to you? This is mm -hmm. this is not a lesson I want my children to learn. I got to say, um, no, I haven't seen the new version. I would like to mm -hmm. uh, eventually. But... I, okay, I hear someone saying that. I hear, oh, mm -hmm. you shouldn't give up, you know, this for love or for a man. I never saw it that way. And I actually have no problem with any of the Disney princess stuff because I firmly right. believe it's all in the processing. So okay. I, I never felt mm -hmm. like, oh, no, my daughter can't watch this because she shouldn't have Princess mm -hmm. Aurora or Snow White as a, as a role model. Mm, um, okay. because we could talk about, okay, well, you know, well, what happened here and what happened here? And specifically with the little mermaid, um, she, she wasn't saying, oh yes, I'm just going to give this up for, for this. I, I felt like she was going for something. And when mm. you're going, when you have a goal, it doesn't matter what the goal is. Sometimes you have to make a sacrifice. And mm. it was Ariel's story. If it had been, what's his name? The, the guy, Eric, Eric, right. <laughs> if it had been his story, if he'd seen her first and fallen in love, who's to say he wouldn't have needed to give something up in order like, to mm. be part of her world. Like breathing. Yeah. <laughs> like breathing. <laughs> to be a part With of her world. dog. I'm love you. It'd be a very short courtship. Yeah. And then she just drags around his floating body. <laughs> Just, she doesn't understand just, how humans work. A, a water log just came out of the boat and jaws corpse. She's just dragging around yeah. through the ocean. He's asleep. Humans apparently sleep a lot. Oh. oh my gosh. Just stick a dingle hopper in him. See if he's awake. Yes, he him. Is he done? Uh, well, you know, again, as, as a male perspective, I guess, hearing or reading this tweet, my first reaction was like, visceral like oh right mm. oh my gosh that's terrible mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. i came across this article written by emily ann strong for salon and mm -hmm. she says more or less what you're saying cat mm -hmm. first which i thought was interesting was she was saying that interesting stories have flawed characters yeah you need them yes to grow throughout the story otherwise it's not terribly fantastic or, yeah. or, you know interesting yeah but th th she talks about how this phenomenon that uh, with with regard to disney films and you know or generally stories we try to tell children to impart moral lessons mm -hmm. we seem to give put these characters at a higher standard hmm. to determine whether they're a good role model or not mm -hmm. and if they're flawed 
bad role model. Right. <laughs> What's interesting is she points out, just like you said, uh, with regard to the original film, mm-hmm. folks are quick to dismiss or not discuss the fact that Ursula is an imposing presence. Right. Mm-hmm. The way she's animated during that scene, you know, she oh. physically just dominates uh, over her Ariel, uh, wrapping her in her tentacles, yes. uh, intimidating her with her magic. Yep. And Ariel is put in a terrible situation, just like so many young people. Yes. That she is led to believe she has no other choice. I have to do this. Right. So Rob Marshall, you know, hearing these types of criticisms that we just mentioned that maybe are not, uh, I don't want to say legitimate. They are, I guess, maybe not, I don't know. I don't know. Valid's the same thing. Well, and they're not maybe new a, either. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they yeah, were yeah, in yeah. the original Little Mermaid. Mm-hmm. Where was the uproar over the Little Mermaid? The first mm-hmm. one, the animated one, the they one that brought out. Disney yeah. Studios back from the brink, the one that got Oscar awards. Yeah. Who who was raising right. a stink about, well, Ariel is teaching. Well, it, we're on that <laughs> cusp between what's acceptable I mean, in, in media and what's getting criticized yeah. and for what reasons and who's a, who, who wants to be outraged versus who wants to think critically about yeah. character flaws. Well, Rob Marshall tried to head this off, you know, cause these criticisms, at least to your point, John, I don't know if there was an uproar, apparently mm-hmm. not because the film did so well. And like you pointed out, saved Disney in some regard mm-hmm. at the time. But since, in the decades since it's been questioned. So Rob Marshall, what he did is he changed it a little bit mm-hmm. in the new film, Ursula misleads Ariel. She tells Ariel that she's giving up her, quote, siren song. Okay. Which already raises another question for me. I guess these mermaids mm-hmm. are sirens in the sense that they have a song that leads men to their death. Mm-hmm. I, I guess. Other. Yep. <laughs> Hate to lose that. Yeah. I'm going to kill dudes. Her- Wait. <laughs> Ursula. <laughs> driving around, dragging around a lifeless corpse. Back to Eric. <laughs> You're next. What? Uh, Ursula doesn't tell her that she's going to lose her voice. Right, so okay. So Ariel's actually surprised in a new film when she reaches the surface and can't speak because she's ah. been tricked. But this, again, this author okay. uh, points out that um, she questions this kind of criticism, saying that she she, mm-hmm. she believes that we we have swallowed, a lot of people have fallen trapped for this certain kind of feminism that she calls mm-hmm. girl boss feminism. Mm-hmm. Again, I do think of myself as right, a feminist, right, yeah. but I'm a man. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. what she says is it's a kind of feminism that simplifies mm-hmm. feminism, I guess, by just mm-hmm. saying you have a certain goal and you just need to overcome it mm-hmm. while not actually doing anything to try to combat the systems that exist to keep mm-hmm. you from achieving that goal. So essentially- I, I believe I'm a feminist, but I'm, I try, I try to always have context in mind. I try to, you yeah. know, keep a- uh, th- there's so many windows you can look through. <laughs> well, but Kat, you are mature yeah. and thoughtful, which is cheating because not everyone has those skills. <laughs> yeah. So much now is knee jerk reaction. And, yes. and what yes. can I, what can I be outraged yes. about yeah. today right away without all the information? Author Strong so has an issue with the new film and it's the way it tweaks it saying that the script goes to pains to ensure that Ariel doesn't give up her voice for a man, but mm-hmm. it robs her key decision of any ambiguity mm. as if the new Ariel can't be allowed to make a mistake when the whole point of the original film is that she might have made one. Yeah. <laughs> now, taking it back to this Paloma yeah. Faith who started mm-hmm. off this, might be sort of looking into this and questioning in the first mm-hmm. place. Mm-hmm. Faith is now receiving her own backlash Okay. as Twitter denizens have unearthed the 2000. Nine tweet from the celebrity reader. Careful quote, what you tweet. Oh, careful what you tweet. Yeah. In 2009, Faith mm-hmm. tweeted, When I grow up, I want to be the Little Mermaid. <gasps> Just do the fucking podcast. Oh, uh, yes, yes, sir. Yes. We didn't warn people not to complain. So that was 1980s. <laughs> 
Today, our independent podcast is brought to you every week by folks just like you. So if you'd like to help us out, please follow us on the podcast platform you're listening to right now. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Share an episode on Facebook. All of these actions just take a moment and are 100% free. But if you'd like to chuck in a buck and help us keep publishing the show week after week, please visit us at 1980snow.com slash support to find out how you can send us a dollar or two. And thank you so much. It means a lot. I'd want to ask her, why did you want to yep. be the Little Mermaid? What was it about her that appealed to you? Was I it wanted her? to lose my voice and get a man. <laughs> right, right. Is that your answer? Or is it? was it her independence, her enterprising spirit, her... I want to swim with a right. corpse. <laughs> Maybe that's it. <laughs> He's all bloated, one eye's hanging out. I, oh. I, I can see it. I wish I could draw. <laughs> and it, Under the sea. <laughs> so look, we're going to talk, like I mentioned, we're going to question where did all the saxes go? As we, as we talked about just a little short time ago at the beginning of the show, saxes were everywhere in the 1980s. I think, I'm trying to think back to how as I felt as a child. Certainly it didn't seem unusual that saxes were in music. No, mm-hmm. it was not unusual. I don't know that we expected them, but they were commonplace. They were so commonplace. I'd have trouble thinking yeah. of one without one. It but, seemed like yeah. an obvious part of pop music, like a banjo is an obvious part of country music. Like, it's like, yeah. you don't uh-huh. second guess, like, why in the world do you have this weird drum with four strings that makes this twang? You know, it was part of it. It was just obvious. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Whereas the banjo mm-hmm. is still part of country and mm-hmm. sax is not. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, and equally obvious is how when I hear banjo music, I feel scared. Of no, 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 you should. No, 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 mm-hmm. no, no. Yeah, I, stop. You're scaring him. I'm scared. Yeah. I'm sorry, Well, I think of. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> All right. So look. This is what we're going to do. So in in this exploration, because you know I can get a bit wonky, because I I like the wonky side of it, (laughs) to keep the show from getting too dry, let's say, Mm -hmm. because I know I can do that. (laughs) Let me take a a sip of water. I need some backwash. (laughs) Hydrate the show. Oh my God, splashed all over my face. Uh (laughs) Well, the show's not getting too dry. You got water on your face. Neither is the host. (laughs) Now the show might be too moist. All right. oh. You're upsetting people. You know that, John. You know I, I, I know. You know there's people that hate that word. So look, to keep it from getting to any of the things mm. that John just said mm-hmm. or dry, mm-hmm. uh, this is what we're going to do. And this is inspired by uh, by what I, an episode I heard of Scandalous Games, which okay. was hosted by Kevin and Pelizzieri, who we had on the show some time ago. It's a really cool show. Mm. And he appreciates too, because he goes and he digs deep into, he's a historian, so he digs deep into the history of troubling video games. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but he did this thing on one episode where they were talking about just upsetting video games. You know, this one yeah. video, I can't remember what it was, but it was anyway. Oh, and he boy. told his co-host anytime, you know, it gets too heavy, mm-hmm. you know, he gave them the power to basically stop it. And then they moved on to play a little, a game that he had set up. They would do it. Quick. Mm-hmm. So that's what we're going to do. So, <gasps> so you guys uh, both have a buzzer there. Okay. <gasps> okay. And okay. whenever right. you, whenever you buzzer. think it's getting too dry, okay, you press your buzzer okay. and this is what you'll hear. <laughs> and then we'll pause the dryness. Okay. We'll, we'll moisturize. <laughs> we'll lotion up. <laughs> slather on some oil or whatever. Uh, and then I'm going to ask you a, a question about uh, uh, some various songs from okay. the 1980s that featured sax solos. Wow. So we okay. have control. You're not going to surprise us? If you don't, I wow. guess if you wait to the end, I might just, I may, I, I, can, I also have the button too. So there you go. You're getting too dry, cat. Okay. You're drying me out. So let me try to understand the rules now. 
So did, did, <laughs> yeah. did you have this cat? Let me just make sure for my own sanity. Mm. Will mm-hmm. is going to entertain us with a litany of information he has compiled for the show. <laughs> yeah. So generous. Yeah. It sounds if like If at that. any point we feel like we're yeah. drifting, we can yeah. mash the buzzer to be entertained with a brief game. <laughs> right. All right. And when you, when you hit your buzzer, you'll mm-hmm. get one question. You get one question. One right? question. I've got 10 of them. One for each year of the 1980s. Oh, boy. Ooh. So there's 10 interruptions. And if you don't, if my thing is just so fantastically entertaining and we just a great conversation, we'll do all the questions at the end. That's okay. fine. But occasionally you might get bored. Just yeah, okay. buzz. Don't, don't worry about that. Yeah, well. All right, cool. All right, here we go. So look, we're going to take it back, back into time, way back. See? All right. So much like this is, this is the best part of the story is the very beginning of this. Cause much oh. like a sax solo itself, the history mm-hmm. of the sax solo is filled with highs and lows. Oh, but mm-hmm. eventually Peter's out okay. and is kind of grating on the ear. <laughs> yes. As much like this episode. Oh, no. <laughs> Just like now, John, sax solo. Yes. This is the most fascinating thing about the sax. John, you played an instrument in the band. I can't remember what, what instrument it was. Mm-hmm. Oh, I played low brass. I played baritone trombone and I was a tubist. Tuba, right. So yeah. you're talking about Barry sax though, right? Or no? No, no, no. A baritone, baritone horn. A baritone, what is that? I mean, that's not the instrument, right? Baritone, so it's a baritone it's called, clarinet. It's, it's called a baritone, baritone horn. It's, it's a baritone horn. Horn. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. It's effectively, what does it look like? it's like a little tuba. It's about a third like? the size of a tuba. Oh, mm-hmm. It's cool. a baritone horn. All right. Well, anyway, so. Tubissimo. Regarding the sax. <laughs> what is it? Tubissimo. 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 Oh, yes. <laughs> so, regarding the saxophone, like the reach around. And the fly swatter before it, <laughs> the saxophone was invented by its namesake, Adolf Sax. Oh. Isn't that crazy? I think that's the craziest thing about Yes. That. As Time Magazine explained it in 1972, quote, as oh. a boy in the early 19th century. Ah, oh, damn it. All right. I pulled the trigger. All right. So, all right. I've got uh, a question for you here. So this is with regard to uh, a song that features a sax solo. And we're going to go in chronological here. So here's okay. 1980. Okay. Alrighty. I'm going to give you a clue. Okay. I don't feel like, I don't, so here's what I got for you. I got a clue, one uh-huh. clue, and I've got an audio clip. Uh-huh. The audio clip is one full measure, <gasps> the very first measure of the sax solo. Seriously? What an upgrade from one tenth of a millisecond that we got last time we played a game. <laughs> yes. Oh, I'm so <laughs> excited. Awesome. You guys were bitching and complaining so much last time. <laughs> I was almost going to give you a half of the song or something or the title. I'll give you the title of the song. Just spoon feed it to you. Here's your audio sample. Did you hear it? <laughs> so we'll maybe, it maybe what I should just do, because I think you can get these just from the audio clip. Maybe okay. we should just start with the audio clip. Oh, okay. okay. All right. Mm-hmm. And All right. I'm trying to okay. guess the song, the artist, the... Yeah. Yes. Song and the, the artist. Brand of mouthpiece. What am I trying to... So, <laughs> yeah, we want woodwind. What type of reed is or, being yes. used? Right. Re- yes. Soft, yes. medium, soft reed, hard reed. Right. Yeah, okay. What a baritone is. What number? Yes. All those mm-hmm. things. Uh, and let's take turns. All right. So let's see. Starting with... The, so the, all the even numbers will go to... All right, Kat, call it. What do you got? Uh, heads. Heads or tails? Heads. All right, it was John. It was so tails, so John. Okay. All right, so all the even numbers will go to John first. I'll give you the audio clue. If you can't get it, clo- uh, Kat will get the clue that's... Uh, you know, the uh, text clue, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. How do you clue. mean even years or even numbered clues? Even years. Okay. So 80 is even, this is cats. Got it. You'll get it first. You'll get oh, the no. first shot on the even ones. Okay. okay got it. All right. So John, here is your audio clue. This is again, a first measure from the a sax solo from a 1980 song. Okay. 
<laughs> yep. Uh, 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 is there something about rock and roll in there? <laughs> there it's a rock and roll song. Is yes. Some, something about the same old something or other or something. Or other. Oh, I can't. Like, sorry, we can't. Say okay. No, you can't. Okay. It's so close. So close. Yeah, there's, can I just? Like, I can hear it. Go ahead. You, you, you know your, this. Your other clue. John, right. because it's still rock and roll to me. That's right. I knew something about rock and roll. You knew. You knew it. <laughs> he was in the ballpark. I was waiting for you. <laughs> My sister and I uh, once made this play yeah. over and over. Did I tell you guys this? It was in a um, in a jukebox in a bar. Uh-huh. We were hanging out in a bar where oh, my father was. And the um, <laughs> we kept playing this song over and over and over and over. And yeah. for some reason, we didn't have to pay for it. And the bartender yelled, what's wrong with that jukebox? And she <laughs> came over and unplugged it. <laughs> you took a stool. <laughs> oh, just, just do the fucking podcast. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Stop yes, it's song. still rock and roll, written and performed no. by Billy Joel mm-hmm. from the hit album Glass Houses, released mm-hmm. in 1980. Mm-hmm. The song peaked at number one on the Billboard Hot 100 charts and was the seventh biggest hit of 1980. Mm. It was eventually uh, certified as platinum, uh, with over one million copies sold in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And the wow. sax solo was uh, performed by uh, Richie Canada, who had been with ah. Billy Joel since the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, on with the dry story. John, don't buzz it immediately. Come on, give me give me a second. Give me a chance here. I think, that, look, I feel like now I'm going to have to convince you to hear the story. This is another funny part or interesting. Okay. okay. Oh, with regard to yes. Adolf Sachs. It's always funnier when you tell us ahead of time that it's going to be funny. So thanks for that. <laughs> I hate when people do that. I hate when people do that. I'm almost guaranteed not to laugh. Or now You're I don't love to this. To and now I have to laugh. Oh, dude, no, I'm not. Funny. Uh, Time Magazine in 1972 explained, quote, as a boy in the early 19th century, Belgium, Adolf Sachs was struck on the head by a brick. Oh my gosh. The accident prone lad also swallowed a needle, fell down a flight of stairs, toppled onto a burning stove and accidentally drank some sulfuric acid. So he's an 80s kid. So... (laughs) Yeah, he's a. Oh, yeah. and he has a history of good decisions, including inventing the sax. Exactly. So, of course, he grew up and invented a hybrid of the brass and woodwood families, the bastard child of the orchestra, saxophone. So, he was actually the son of an esteemed uh, music maker. So, he spent his life, even from an early age, learning how to make instruments. Ah. He sought to create an instrument that combined the technical dexterity of the flute and the clarinet with the horn like sound of the brass family. Mm-hmm. Uh, he imagined that this was something that military bands could use, mm. uh, orchestras could use. Um, eventually, after experimenting with the, a, a bass clarinet, he stumbled across a prototype for what we, you know, became ultimately becomes the, the uh, saxophone. Uh huh. Now, although some uh, classical musicians did include the sax in their compositions, the sax never took hold Mm -hmm. the way Adolf had hoped. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That was due in part because the French instrument manufacturers went to war with him. Oh. He relocated from Belgium to France to try to take, you know, he wanted to get some of the the military business there and sell his Mm -hmm. instruments. They had essentially what was uh, one YouTuber called it a battle of the bands. (laughs) And his instruments (laughs) won over versus the local manufacturers in France. Wow. So they filed multiple lawsuits against him, just keeping him busy with that. And meanwhile, they pressured musicians not to take up the instrument. (laughs) And as a result, some composers would write... For, for orchestra that had it, and the, the members of the orchestra would say, we're not going to play that. They were like giving one-star reviews of saxophone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, re- they reviewed bomb. <laughs> One-star saxophone. If I could give it fewer stars, I would. Yeah. <laughs> now, of course, and I think all along, I'm giving this history because I think this is interesting how it plays into how we perceive of the sax. Mm. Because ultimately, it's interesting to me that, that, that sax, for me, is, is sort of 
how I feel about it, it's imbued with certain qualities that I don't attribute to other instruments. Okay. You know, the sexiness of it. It is. The yeah, playful, yeah, yeah. the rebellious nature of it. And I think all of that is embedded in this history. Yeah. And even though if we didn't know it or, or just experienced our piece of it, you'll hear it. It's, there's something about how it came to us that I think it, it, huh. it, it is why. Wow. I'll pause to see if John raises his. his you know, Kat's never going to buzz me, right, John? She's too kind. <laughs> I'm going to do it right now. <laughs> Oh, all right, Kat. I see I said it and then Kat did it. All right, okay, look. All right, I got another one for you here. All right, this song is from 1981, Kat. This first clue goes to you. It's an audio clue. Tell me uh, which song included this uh, sax solo. Again, it's the first measure. Mm. Something about rock and roll? No, no. Oh, my gosh. She's a very freaky girl. Super freak. Super freak. That's right. Good job. I got there the same time you did. I'm like, you she, did? I'm stuck. I'm stuck. Oh. I'm stuck. And then I, as soon as you said it, I thought of it. Yep. Right. On, it's right. easier when the pressure's not on you, right? That's yes. how I function with these things. Yes. Yes. Uh, released in 1981, Super Freak was produced and performed by Rick, Rick James. James. The song yep. was co-written by James along with Alonzo Miller and was released on James's fifth album, Street Songs. Hit number 16 on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100. Uh, number one on the dance club play and number three on the hot soul singles charts. Nice. Yeah. It's since been certified gold. Mm. Uh, the tenor saxophone solo is by Stone City band member Daniel Lamel. Oh, damn. We used to use that in dance class. <laughs> in your dance class? In our, yeah, we used to, it was part of our warm ups uh, in dance class, in jazz class. <laughs> Were you children? Yeah. She's a very freaky girl. Girls that you wouldn't take home to mother? <laughs> jazz class. <laughs> very freaky huh. preteens. Don't take home to dance class. I got to take that out. <laughs> So ultimately, the sax makes its way to our shores mm -hmm. in the, here in the U.S. Mm -hmm. in the late 19th century, where it is used by composers, including John Phillips Sousa in wow. pieces like Stars and Stripes Forever, uh -huh. uh, you know, fulfilling much of what Adolf had, had hoped for, being a part of a military band. Mm -hmm. But as the instrument began being adopted by the nascent jazz genre, which mm. was, you know, just uh, was up and coming at the time, yeah. classical musicians began to look further down upon it. Mm. That, that said, when the saxophone was picked up by dance bands of the early 1900s, mm -hmm. it became a star. Mm. More saxophones were sold in the mid to late 1920s than electric guitars were sold in the 1960s. That sounds made up. <laughs> in part, this might be because it, a sax is actually easy to pick up. It turns out the fingering is kind of similar to a keyboard. Okay. Or a piano. Is it? But yeah. popularity brought with it mm -hmm. serious and seriously powerful detractors. Oh, by 1933, the Nazis took power, when the Nazis mm. took power in Germany, mm -hmm. the saxophone had become a symbol of jazz music and it inextricably intertwined with African-American culture. Mm -hmm. So they banned it. I don't want to talk about Nazis. Let's play a game. All right. Hey, I got another one for you, John. This is uh, for you first up here from 1982. Mm -hmm. Here is your first measure of a sax solo featured in a hit song. Huh. I'm wondering if this is, was this really a hit song? Oh. All right. Let's say it's in the top, it's in the Billboard Hot 100, right? <laughs> okay. Oh. Whoa. Um, this is one of the hardest ones. Oh I've my heard. goodness gracious. Oh. <laughs> Again? I don't even have a guess for that one. That that doesn't yeah. even sound familiar. Oh no. Mm. It's tricky. It's one of my favorite sax solos. Really? I love okay. the song in this yeah. band too though, but yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna pass cat. Here's the steal. Hey, I don't know if I can. I'm so curious what this is. Well, you're getting a clue, Kat. Okay, all right. And here's your clue, mm -hmm. which I think will make it easier for you. Although this song was featured on the soundtrack for The Last American Virgin, it wasn't as big of a hit as Christmas Rappin', another classic from the same band. Oh, is this, um, 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 I Know What Boys Like? That's the only other song I know from them really well. 
Oh my gosh. Wow. Nice. Cat those are songs. Can I hear the clip this again now? Yeah, From the sure. waitresses. Huh. Oh, I love this solo. You guys gotta check out the full song. It like <laughs> didn't help at all. Yeah. I need to hear it woven <laughs> in with the whole song. I don't I right, have, the rest have of it, it yeah. lodged yeah. like yeah. that. Wow. The other ones I could hear and the rest of the... Yes. The rest of like it reminded me of Lilu being reconstituted in the fifth <laughs> element. Like all we had was the hand. <laughs> yeah. And it's just, it's all stitching together in the, in the, in the yeah. container. Yeah. Right. But this one is just nothing. Yeah. It's just I, nothing. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. <laughs> no stitching. Yeah. Uh, I know what bullies like was written by guitarist Chris Butler. Yeah. Friend of the yeah. show, Chris Butler, who yeah. appeared uh, you know, some time ago. Yeah. And, and actually a neighbor. That's not too far from. Uh, in 1978, while he was still a member of the rock band Tin Huey, which again, it's a local band here, mm-hmm. and later recorded by Patty Donahue after Butler formed The Waitresses. Mm. Nice. It was released as a single and peaked at number 62 the week of May 29th, 1982 on the Billboard Hot 100. Nice. And Tin Huey bandmate Ralph Carney plays the sax. And right. it's fun in the video, too, because he goes berserk on that thing. I've got to point out that it's now three zip, Cat. Um, You're crushing it. All I'm right. sorry. I'll skip the Nazis. <laughs> Don't be sorry. Never apologize sorry. for dominating a game. All right. Well done. The Nazis ban it because it's associated with African-American culture. Uh-huh. Uh, the Russians ban it because it's associated with Americanism. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Likewise, it gets banned in churches, starting with the Vatican in 1914, probably because of it's associated with what they thought were sexually aggressive dances. Because it's associated with saxophone players. <laughs> That's enough. That's enough. That's You'll enough. never see one of them in a church. Yeah. I was going to say, were a lot of people playing saxophone in church that they had to be banned? Get out. Or, no, I get it. Okay. <laughs> we don't want them in here. Because <laughs> I've known sure. a lot of saxophone players in my yeah. time, and uh, there's a type. Yeah, 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 and I guess to John's point, I mean, jazz musicians <laughs> yeah, certainly yeah. then, and I don't know mm-hmm. now, but they were, you know, they, they had a type as well, and mm-hmm. you know, drugs were involved, dancing, mm-hmm. partying, you know, mm-hmm. other vices, yep. and where we could say no judgment, that's fine, you know, sure. uh, yeah. the church was like, oh no, dirty <laughs> dancing, <gasps> and, and the dancing, keep them out yeah. of here, yeah, dirty dancing, so, and in the U.S., we had you know the development of. Just like with rock and hip hop, we had a new music style. And this one, again, was led by Mm -hmm. African-Americans. We had an outrage here from the moral majority as well, who saw evidence in jazz music of youthful dissolution. Mm. Uh, In fact, in 1925, the editor of of the American magazine Etude, that's a lot of words, I don't know, wrote, quote, (laughs) we know that in sinister aspects, jazz is doing a vast amount of harm to young minds and bodies not yet developed to resist evil temptations. Okay. Based on empirical <laughs> evidence and studies. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it just, it, this happens over and over again. We know in the oh, 1980s yeah. we had very, very satanic panics over right. anything we liked. Mm-hmm. Yep. Is the older generation is scared of the younger generation. If the kids like it, it's bad for us all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what's funny is, now I think to myself, look, when our parents were, you know, shitting on hip hop or shitting on rock yeah. or punk mm-hmm. music, these people are shitting on jazz music. When you look back and you think of all those things that evolved out of those mm-hmm. are still with us today and are to be, you know, lauded yeah. and, uh, you know, cherished and valued today. And look, now I'm going to sound like an old guy, but I think I could get away with this, right? <laughs> think about the dances that came out of hip hop, for example, uh-huh. or jazz. 
We got TikTok dances now. You ever see those? <laughs> they last for 30 seconds. No one could follow them. <laughs> You're not doing it at a party. Like everyone's, it's just. <laughs> there are full tutorials you can watch on TikTok to do the stupid TikTok dances. Right? Yes, you can't right. learn so someone can get views while I try to learn the steps. <laughs> I know right. that trick's work. Exactly. John, you're not getting me with that Pac-Man dance you made up. Like, yeah. Waka, waka, waka. Pass. <laughs> to the tune of, yes. But what's interesting is that as a result of them, you know, first they see jazz, this new music. Oh shit, mm -hmm. this is the devil's music. Look at how people are behaving. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, with these lascivious dance styles and jazz clubs. They appear to be enjoying it. Yes. Well, that's the first sign, right? <laughs> right. They're experiencing pleasure. When they're trying to, you know, home in on, you know, what is at, at uh, sort of, you know, yeah. the heart of this, this thing that seemed to came out of, come out of nowhere. Yeah. The saxophone is targeted because it doesn't have the pedigree of the other instruments in the jazz band. You know, pianos have been around forever, guitars, <laughs> mm -hmm. drums. Mm -hmm. Saxophone by then is is a hundred years or less. Oh, right old. at this point, you can't say the piano causes the kids to act crazy because it's been around right. so long and proven yes. not to be the case. Yeah, we had yes. those in the you church. You got to go with whatever's new. Yep. Yes. So a, what are, uh, you guys are going to just keep doing this to me? All right. Okay, cat. Mm -hmm. I got one for you, cat. This is a song released in 1983, okay. and I'm going to play you the audio clue here, which is the first measure of the sax solo. Okay. That's good at this. Modern Love. That's right. Wow. <laughs> I had wow. To Cat is like that. Cat's brain, I could see it whirring. Like it's that app, that Shazam app, oh. where you play a song and it's right. It, it sampled it, and and now it's comparing it against all the algorithms yes. to see which song it is. I had to fast forward. Can, can I hear it again and see if I ever would have gotten there one more you time? Lee Lou's not coming back in my brain. She's not going to be reconstituted. Nothing Well done. Four zip, cat. Yes, Modern Love is a song written by English singer-songwriter David Bowie, released as the opening track on his 1983 album Let's Dance and issued as the third single from the album later that year. It was co-produced by Bowie and one of Cat's favorites, Niall Rogers. Yes. It hit uh, number 14 on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100, and it features a tenor sax solo by Stan Harrison, as mm. best as I can tell. Uh, as best as you can tell. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little... Oh, a little fudgy. All right. A little murky. All right. Look, let's get close <laughs> to the 80s quicker here. So in the 1950s now, mm -hmm. you know, so like I told you, this is ebbs and flows mm -hmm. as far as the popularity of saxes and sax solos in popular mm -hmm. music. Mm -hmm. But in the 1950s, when rock and roll starts to emerge out of jazz... Uh, it gives the saxophone another boost. And much like its musical predecessor, mm -hmm. rock began featuring the instrument, uh, including in, in solos. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I came across this really, look, I came across a lot of articles and I'll put them all in the show notes Ooh. instead of repeatedly referring to the sources. <laughs> but one of them was this guy who just published his paper, maybe to get his PhD, because it's his PhD on it. <laughs> it just came out where he analyzed data. He, he, he somehow he, he found some different tables, et cetera. But he, what he essentially crunched was Songs, popular songs since the 1950s through 2020 was the last Ooh, okay. uh, time this was mm -hmm. updated. Mm -hmm. And what they charted as, hmm. and then he averaged for different portions of years, I think every five years or uh -huh. so, he averaged how many hit songs had sax solos. Wow. <laughs> so he creates this really interesting sort of, you know, graph where you can see the sort of wave mm -hmm. where again, in the 1960s, I'm about to mention, or in this period here, we had the peak 
uh, of uh, peak usage of saxes in songs from 1958 to 1962 uh-huh. with an average of 55 top 40 hit songs featuring solos each year wow. during that time. Nice. Okay. Mm-hmm. But just 10 years later, as we approach our favorite decade, this average drops 80% to only 11 solos per mm. year. And we only had seven in 1971. Mm. But as rock became the forerunner in American music, the saxophone starts be- being replaced by guitars. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Some folks suggest economics took a role because it was more expensive to have a saxophone, mm-hmm. a saxophonist, to have a session musician on the mm-hmm. payroll that was available to play a saxophone. Okay. But as we're going to talk about in a little while, and I'm going to get your thoughts on this at the end uh-huh. here, is, is, is that doesn't seem to account for what happens a decade later. Because beginning in the late 1970s, a shift begins towards electronic production and away from acoustic. Mm. As we yep. know, mm-hmm. yep. technology starts allowing us to be able to create other sounds. Mm-hmm. And many of the artists in the 70s and certainly throughout the 1980s take advantage of okay. that. But in spite of that, we still got this. <laughs> oh, you're introducing one. No, that's, well, that's not me playing a game. That song, that saxophone oh. is actually from the late 1970s song Baker Street by Jerry Rafferty. I've been trying to place, like I know what, what that is. <laughs> that was the final test. I couldn't have, I couldn't <laughs> wait, have wait, wait. your name. No, yeah. no, that's not from You Belong yeah. to the City? No. No, no, yeah. That, you know, good that's a guess good, that's though. A good one, I what? see where you're going. I see where you're going with I that. I see where you're going, and I'm telling you to turn around because you're about to hit a wall. You're going the wrong way. It's a dead end. But I thought that was an isolated sample from the Miami Vice soundtrack. Interesting. Yeah, wow. No. Nope. No. It's actually from a Baker Street, as I mentioned. Uh, yeah. That, along with other songs like Deacon Blues by Steely Dan. You're punking let, me. Really? That a rebound in sax solo popularity beginning in 1978. Mm-hmm. Now, it ticks up again. Now we start having an average of 27 solos per year in about 18 solos per year for the remainder of the decade. Think about it. As we're pointing out, even with this game, it dominated 80s music, uh, music TV yeah. shows, right? As I mentioned, commercials, mm-hmm. movie scores. Think about David Sanborn and the Lethal Weapon films. You know, it became the... <laughs> you guys are going to keep doing this to me. Yeah, we are. Yes. All right, it's fine. All right. Okay, here we go. I got another one for you. I'm All behind right. four zip. I really need the help. <laughs> All right, John. You get here. You go. Here's one, John. You, this is one for you. Is it free? Okay. You're going to get this. So yeah, I know I you're sure not. Hope so. I said that. All right. This is from 1984. Tell me what's uh, this hit song? What, what, what solo this hit song comes from? Mm. Yeah, she's working. Cat's Shazam. already bobbing her head. She's shazamming it she as we speak. She continues the song in her head. <laughs> you can tell. I think I have it. Come on, John. <sighs> It almost like the, the instrumentation feels a little Huey Lewisy, but I really don't know what the song yeah. is. No, I pass. And plus, Kat's can, gonna get her clue. Can I? Can I give him mm. a clue? If I, but it has to be if I'm correct. I don't know. Would you like a pity clue, John? Yeah, I can, sure. I mean, I could give you. I could give John your clue if you want. <laughs> I, well, it's it's specific to John. If I'm correct no. on this song. Yeah. Oh boy. It. Um, remember what you said on your first song? This is like the clue she gives in her, what, her, uh, what was that one hit wonder thing or whatever? <laughs> oh, there's another one coming. It rhymes with tree and Star Trek, uh, character. Whatever, yeah. um, <laughs> right. What wow. did you, no, that was the best clue. Yes, that mm. was. What did you say on, on your, on the first song tonight on the first song? See, this is what I'm talking you about. You said about. what? Something oh, to do yeah. with. It, Right, sounded rock and rolly is what I said. Right. Uh-huh. So, uh-huh. Am I right, Will? Yeah. yeah. And, well, and if I went down that path, the it only thing I could the only thing I could do is harder rock and roll because I already said it feels like Huey Lewis, but That's right. Yes! Is it really? Yes, yes. 
I couldn't hear the song around it, and I, I can't take any more than yeah. half credit for that at most. Oh, we, we could do it live. I was trying to get you the words rock and roll. So mm-hmm. yeah, yes, this is a Huey and the Lewis and the new song from uh, it was their third single from the 1983 album mm. Sports. Yep. It's peaked at number six in the U.S. Billboard Hot 100. Uh, Christopher Connolly of the Rolling Stone at the time said, "Quote: A fancy pants sax solo <laughs> and some moronic <laughs> lyrics sabotage the spirited heart of rock and roll." It's still kicking, says Huey, which should have ended a minute and a half earlier. Mm. Johnny Cola of the News played mm. the solo. I wore that cassette out in my truck, I tell you. At least yeah. at least once I had to buy it a second time. Awesome. Great album. So we're listening to some 80s songs in this way that we do this throughout this game. So mm-hmm. we, and folks are familiar with it, certainly. But we're going to get to some of the reasons why folks think we don't have saxes, sax solos okay. anymore mm-hmm. uh, in a moment or two. Okay. But to get there, I first have to pose this question Ooh. to you. Why do you feel, there's no correct answer to this, why do you feel the sax, and maybe you disagree, mm-hmm. is considered sexy? Oh. And again, maybe you don't think that, mm-hmm. but. I do. Many folks suggested, okay, why? What is it about it? There's a playfulness to it. There's um, mm-hmm. a kind of a- I love the hand gestures you're making because it, it is, <laughs> that is what it sounds like. Yes. Like there's kind of a smooth wiggle. Um, uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> tell you something um so so i don't know okay the song careless whisper okay yeah i practically draped myself over the speaker like whenever i would hear that song there was just something about it wow it's primal or something yes yes it's visceral there's something really visceral about the saxophone it's so interesting yeah (laughs) i understand why it's perceived as being a sexy sound it is all those things that you said cat I think I missed the boat on the sex sounding that way. And for me, ah, I okay. like, I get it. I understand the, I understand what people are trying to invoke when you hear the sax playing and, but it's almost, it's almost ironically sexy at this oh, point for me. Okay. When I hear the sax being used to go, things are getting steamy. <laughs> it's, it's, it's almost like it's a meme almost to me now oh, when you, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. it's like you two yeah. see two people in a room. It's, it's almost playing that bounce, kind of like you're yes. doing a porn song, right? If you just play a nice <laughs> sultry sax, it sounds to me like you're forcing the issue. Uh-huh. So I guess you would say it's successfully invoking a sexuality mm. or an interlude with some people. But yeah. it's so on the nose now because it's been used so long that I don't I don't okay. feel that way about it. I only intellectually know what they're doing, if that makes sense. Okay. It's blah, blah, blah to you. Well, it is blah, blah, blah. <laughs> blah, blah, sax solo. Let's get back to the song. Yeah. John Fullery. Play John, the fucking music. <laughs> John's coming down how the detractors of the sax ultimately, you know, sort of modern mm. detractors come down. Okay. But, okay. Oh, interesting. But you, you, you're right, John. I don't have a clip of it, but you can recall then older films and cartoons when it when a female character was going to strip, yeah. it would be like this Barry yes. Sax that would come in. <laughs> or yes. Yes. Yep. So, I agree with Kat, though. There's something, I think, innate, mm-hmm. innate too, in yeah. sound. And, and oh, I was yeah. just thinking about this. Like, the sounds we vocalize, we talk about, mm, mm-hmm. sexy. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. we make sounds that are similar to what yeah. a sax does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah. a sax, by many accounts, but, you know, folks that know more about music than I do, is an instrument that's regarded as being able to cl- more closely emulate a, a human's voice. Oh. Well, it is reeded, so it has a vibrating reed mm-hmm. that's not entirely unlike oh, your vibrating vocal cords, right? So, uh-huh. what I do? What, 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 I'm, I'm being 
something. I don't know. I don't know. I missed it. I looked down. Is it because I said vibrate? Was that it's the problem? Yes. I don't know what I'm yes, doing. Jumped, oh. it I jumped on the speaker just like it was careless whisper. <laughs> just, just draping herself she across her she earphones on the computer. <laughs> John's okay. No, I'm not. I'm She's stopping. laying across the but, laptop. <laughs> she, laptop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Get it? Uh oh, we lost her. <laughs> so we've, we've She's, broken her once she'll again. Be back. Oh my god. Mm. <laughs> but it, it does it have it has a similar timbre to a vocal yeah. cord vibration right yeah. as opposed yeah. to a brass instrument which is a buzzing yeah. of your lips is that mm-hmm. right uh-huh. which has nothing uh-huh. like that you know mm-hmm. you go the other end like yeah. a flute that's blowing across a, an yeah. opening which is not that but cat quit it i'm not even trying anymore <laughs> huh okay <laughs> Well, I'm having a hot flash right now. Anyway. Yeah, I'm gonna say <laughs> that's not. Yeah. <laughs> There's a whole oh, bunch of that, things. Not for the usual. Reasons. <laughs> not for. Um, <laughs> so look. So again, taking it up to today, saxophones are like John is talking. It's talking about. They not only have they disappeared, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. but the the average number of solos are now measured in the single dig- digits. Mm-hmm. And one explanation suggested by some authors, like Kelsey McKinney is that the instrument has become, quote, a punchline in a joke about the 80s. Oh, mm. all right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, according to it's McKinney, like uh, yeah. she writes, in today's pop, the saxophone is used sparingly because instead of seeming cool and propelling singles, it runs the risk of making you look corny. Oh, boy. <laughs> and she, and I don't agree with this, but she cites uh, the most prominent shift away from saxes as sort of a, a respected instrument of pop music. Mm-hmm was George Michael's 1984 smash Careless Whisper, uh-huh. <laughs> which she describes as having a saxophone riff that is a stand-in for pseudo-sexiness. Hmm. John could have written this piece himself. <laughs> <laughs> All I can picture in sax solos now is the, the oiled-up yeah. buff guy from Lost Boys. At oh, the, my gosh. The concert. Oh my <laughs> yeah. Which, for the record, I don't well, find yeah. that appealing. Like, no, that that's okay. No. <laughs> well, you know, what's disappointing to me is that McKinney, moved, you know, she sort of ties careless whisper to mm-hmm. fast forward years after in 2011 when this person who was personified as the sexy sax man. Oh, my God. A character yes. played go. by real life saxophonist yes. Sergio Flores yes. went viral mm-hmm. by popping up in random places shirtless and playing the opening of Careless Whisper. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but in no yes. place in her article mm-hmm. does she make a mention. She referred to the true 1980s pop culture sensation that made this parody possible. The sexy sax man from Lost mm-hmm. Boys, right. exactly. Tim right. Capello. That, that's wrong. It's just wrong. She skimmed right over that. <laughs> so in, in, in 1987, Capello appears shirtless and, and shiny mm-hmm. uh, in a musical Boily. performance in, in, in the film in which he both sings and plays the sax. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, he's playing a cover version of uh, I Still Believe by The Call. Uh-huh. But I don't know how you say this guy in 2011 is, oh, look, he's pointing out. No, no, no. Right. He's making a parody of Tim Capello. What happened, you know, yes. 14 years earlier, yes. or whatever it is, 24 mm-hmm. years earlier. Mm-hmm. But but just as an aside of Tim Capello to give you his his, his bona fides, because for 15 years, he was a, a, man, a band member of Tina Turner's band. Oh. And in 1985, yeah. uh, he made a brief appearance in music videos for Tina Turner's We Don't Need Another Hero and One of the Living from the Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And because he looked like, you know, so many of the guys that people are aspiring to be in, out of these action movies because yeah, he was yeah. buff and, and built, the Hollywood agents start uh, clamoring to get him in TV and movies. And, okay, there you go. All right, Kat. Mm. It's a good story. No doubt. 
And we'll he- we'll get to hear it too, right? <laughs> All right, whatever. No, you won't. No, you won't. Oh, You're no. not escaping. This is the punishment, phase. The punishment phase of the of the, of the show. <laughs> All right. So or I think spite, it's, I believe it's just spiteful. Four or five zip, and it's I, no, you got one. No, we gave you that one, yeah. so it was three to You're one. You give me a whole point for that. What? That's very magnificent. Four to one. All right, there that we go. You're not, there's no chance you're going to win. So that's okay. <laughs> four to one. All right, here we go, Kat. This one is for you. Okay. Uh, and here is your musical clue. This is the first measure of a sax solo from a 1985 hit song. Tell me what it is. The, we don't need another hero, right? That's right! Yay! Wow! <laughs> Dang it. Impression. I'm doing better at this than I anticipated. I mean, I know I... Yep. I love my <laughs> 80s songs, but... <laughs> yeah. This song was written by yeah. Graham Lyle and Terry Britton and recorded, mm-hmm. of course, by the late... Tina Turner mm-hmm. for the soundtrack album to the 1985 film Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, in which she also co-starred. Yeah. It became one of her biggest hits, peaking at number two on the U- U.S. Billboard Hot 100, just behind John Parr's St. Elmo's Fire. Mm. And in motion. Right. And, in motion. Uh, and as I was just <laughs> r- mentioning, Tim Capello plays the solo oh, for yes. the song. Yes. As well as appears in the music video, which, by the way, was nominated for Best Female Video. Yes. See, that was a perfect time for that song. It, it yeah, was. It was planned. Yeah. If we just recap the score, here's what's happened. One of three things has happened on each one of these songs. Okay. Mm-hmm. Either I screwed it up and Kat stole it. Or mm-hmm. Cat got it right, John didn't get a chance to steal it. Oh. Or on the off chance, John missed it and Cat drug him kicking and screaming to the correct answer. It's always mm-hmm. been Cat the whole way through. You're right, John. Give yep. me a point for that. You're still not going <laughs> to Thank you. Um, oh, well, let's give him a point. Yeah. Just to yeah. end this Capello story, <laughs> I thought it was interesting because he gets actually called into audition for Lethal Weapon. But instead of going right into oh. the office, there's a song playing on the radio and he wants to know who's singing it. It turns out it, it's the song I Still Believe. So he waits to hear who's the artist because he loves the song. Okay. By the time he goes into audition, and by the way, he's auditioning for the Gary Busey part in Lethal Weapon. Oh. He's late. Oh. They're done. Oh. Oh. But yeah. the, the same folks who are producing Lethal Weapon are producing Lost Boys. So they take him from that office and bring him over oh. to Joel Schumacher. Wow. When okay. he gets to Joel Schumacher's office, he sees a picture of himself on the wall. <laughs> from uh, I think from the Mad Max music video. Oh my oh gosh. Boy. So Joel Schumacher was already interested. In like, asks him, how would you like to record a song for our movie? And he says, yeah, let's do it. That's great. Uh, <laughs> the song he winds up doing for the movie is I Still Believe. The song mm-hmm. he was listening to, mm-hmm. there's a cover of it, the one that was on the radio. Nice. I, I think All these right. are some reasons that are, <laughs> these are more reasonable theories as to why we don't have saxophone solos since mm-hmm. the 1980s, or very many. Mm-hmm. Okay. One, these are the ones I came across. One, Michael Jackson. Yeah. And not for the reason you'd think. Hmm. Now, sure, he was moving towards more synth-based music as the era went yeah. on. Yeah, but yeah. someone posits that what he did with his music videos is make himself the star, mm-hmm. the focus. Mm-hmm. And so maybe to have a saxophone soloist, as this one theory suggests, mm-hmm. would detract oh, from no. that. Interesting. So the sure. actual problem is that Michael Jackson did not play saxophone. <laughs> yes. Mm. What that he did. <laughs> yes. We yes. had a sax solo throughout Thriller. Yes. No. <laughs> Darkness falls across the. <laughs> Just play the fucking music. <laughs> Sorry, Melon Camp. The other two reasons I already alluded to earlier, because, you know, as we mentioned, when, when jazz became rock and roll and rock and roll moved on to disco. And, mm-hmm. and now, once again, as the 80s sort of, you know, fades into the background, that we've got cost. 
Mm-hmm. As maybe it's too costly to keep, you know, obsession musicians on payroll. They play the sax. <laughs> I'm sure I buy that play. one necessarily, but okay. Or uh, technology, which again, by the 19, end of the 80s and certainly more so today, mm-hmm. technological advances have made it way too easy for just one person yeah. to record out all mm-hmm. the tracks. You know? yeah, That's right. yeah. And yeah. according to the gentleman who I talked about who did all this an- analyzing of this data, Brian uh, Wansink is his name. Hmm. Sure. He, he acknowledges economics may play a role because he points out that um, there's a, a cost to the inefficiency of finding the right soloist, mm. rehearsing and re-recording takes. Mm. For instance, he cites in 1985 to record the solo for Careless Whisper, they mm. auditioned 11 different saxophonists. Wow. And then even then mm. they were not able to use an unmodified version of the solo. They instead had to speed wow. up the recording. Wow to raise the entire solo solo up one half step. Huh. So the high F became a, a F sharp. Wow. But he dismisses this, and I, th- I think I somewhat agree with him, mm-hmm. saying that while these theories explain some of the fall in popularity, it doesn't capture changing tastes, mm. such as you know the saxophone going from a top 40 staple in the 80s to becoming a punchline in the 90s. Right, right. But he suggests that popularity begets popularity. Mm-hmm. And so, since so many top 40 songs in the 60s, for example, had saxophone solos, mm-hmm. it may have been believed that you needed a saxophone solo to have a hit. Mm-hmm. So the next guy would do that too. Mm-hmm. Right. And so okay. on and so forth. It just sort of propagates itself. Sure. But he dismisses the notion that musicians are ultimately playing what they think the public wants to hear. Mm. Uh, so instead of adding saxophones because they decided, well, this will be real, a huge hit, mm-hmm. except for the fact that it's already been maybe established. Instead, mm-hmm. he suggests that the artists are the gatekeepers making a decision as to what they think needs to be included in a song, of course. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, and he cites, when we talk about Baker Street, that song, the sax that you guys keep annoying me with, <laughs> um, it turns out that- You belong to the night, you mean? Rafferty, when he was recording it, when he was recording that song, he already had a guitar solo or guitar playing the riff okay. instead uh-huh. until Al Stewart, who had already had two runaway hits in the 1970s that had a prominent saxophone solos, mm-hmm. said to him, you need to have a sax in this. And Ooh. so they replaced the guitar with the now infamous, I'll say, on this show at least, <laughs> <It is>. saxophone. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So instead of audience dictating the popularity of you know instruments, he suggests that instead it's the other way around. Sure. In other words, if, if musicians don't supply songs with saxophones, it, this seems like... <laughs> I was wrapping up. I was helping. I was helping you wrap it up. Oh, God, you guys. All right, John, this next one is for you. This is a hit song from 1986. Okay. Tell me uh, the name of the song. Here is the first measure uh, of the sax solo. Yeah. Yeah, I hear it. Mm-hmm. That's a hard mm-hmm. one. I think that's hard. That piece makes it hard, I think. I know Kat's probably got it, but mm-hmm. for a certain reason. Yeah. For a certain reason. Yeah. Can I get one more time through it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I hear the song building after that and yes. going into it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. You got mm-hmm. bu- to keep building until they start singing. Yeah, you got to keep going. <laughs> <laughs> that would help. Yeah, I'm mm-hmm. not going to get there before the end of recording time. So go, go ahead. Oh. Gonna- <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's all right. It's okay. I'm not going to win at this point. It's all right. I'm happy to see Kat shine. Oh, <laughs> should I say it? If you know what it is, yeah. It's if you leave. That's right. There you go. That's right. <laughs> yep. Now you you know it right. now, right? It, like you can hear it. If this was multiple choice, I'd have gotten it. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> but it was not. Yes, that's if you leave by OMD, Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was recorded for the soundtrack to the film Pretty in Pink. That's why I suggested Cat would certainly know it. Yeah. It's played prominently during the final scene of the film. Mm-hmm. It's the group's highest charting mm-hmm. single, reaching number four on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100. 
and is regarded as a defining track of the 1980s described by uh, interview as, quote, one of the most influential zeitgeist capturing songs ever to be written. Oh. Praise indeed. Uh-huh. It's all right. All right, look, I'm going to wrap up my, my tale here about this <laughs> sax, you know, so. Oh, I wouldn't use tail? I just, it, it, <laughs> essentially in the end, look, there's all these I different theories. <laughs> we can't be sure, but of course, you know, it's a, what, a syllogism. It's, it's this idea that, uh, or truism that, you can't have hit songs with saxes in them unless you have songs with saxes in them. So that's ultimately what this guy is arguing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. All right. So if you if we did have a supply of them, they could very well be hits again. Yeah. You know. So there's right. it's like, why don't you see giants anymore? It goes because there aren't any. Right. That's the yeah. Problem. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. My my uh, some guy I used to know always said uh, he didn't fall in love with his wife until he met her. That said, when Lady Gaga and Katy Perry were looking for hits, huh. I'm talking within the last what ten years or so, maybe 10, 15 sure. years, mm-hmm. they included saxophones mm-hmm. and. To do that, they brought back legendary 80s saxophonists to play their solos. Ooh. The late Clarence Clemens of the E Street yeah. Band played on uh, Gaga's The Edge of uh, the Edge of Glory. He wasn't yet dead, though, right? He was still... Oh. Huh. I, my, my notes don't say. <laughs> my notes don't brought say. back the late... Like, wow. Maybe, well, maybe that's what The Edge of Lady Glory Gaga's refers got to. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. uh, and Lenny... Pickett, who you'd recognize as the current musical director for, for SNL, who's been with SNL since 1985 when oh, he was just okay. a lowly saxophonist at the time. And I think G.E. Hmm. Smith was still running the show. Or mm-hmm. maybe that was the era of uh, uh, David Johansson. I don't know. But hmm. but he's also a former member of the legendary Tower of Power. Uh, oh. If you're familiar with them, this uh, legendary uh, horns uh, band. Uh, but ah. he played on Perry's TGIF oh. last Friday night. Um, he played also played the sax on a number of 1980s hits, including Notorious... Cat. Uh-huh. Nice. Uh, and he yeah. played on uh, some uh, songs yeah. on the uh, Madonna's Like a Virgin album and guested on other tracks by David Bowie, uh, Paul McCartney, and Elton John. Yeah. Now, interestingly enough, though, when Katy Perry recorded the music video for that song, she had someone f- fill in as a double or a stand-in to uh, mime along with the sax solo. That was none other than, than an- that was another 80s legend, the sexiest saxophone player ever, just def- defying all odds. Oh, in the 1980s to become a household name associated with a sax and sex appeal. Kenny G. That's right. Oh my gosh. Wow. <laughs> Who else could it be? John, I yeah, wouldn't Kenny have thought G. of that. Let's so give him a point for you. For you. <laughs> yep. Good for so, you. So there was dozens, literally dozens and dozens of uh, 80s songs uh, that featured sax songs. Dozens and dozens. Oh, um, yes. All right. So I've got a couple more questions for you. Speaking of that. I've got uh, what? Three more here. Three more here. All right, Kat, you're up next here. Oh, you, you mm-hmm. don't have to. You don't have to. Do, uh, I don't. Uh, oh, wait, hang on. I wanted to. Okay, do that. <laughs> nice. All right, here you go, Kat. This song is from mm-hmm. 1987, and here is the first measure of the sax solo from this tune. T- oh. Well, this might be the first time she gets stumped. Can I hear that again? I feel like if you do, you'll you'll get it. Oh. Oh, oh no! <laughs> I can't. I can't bring it anywhere. Oh my goodness! Okay. All right, John. Mm. Here is your John. clue. You're in no danger, cat. Just relax. I'll give you the audio. Won the game, but here's okay. the clue, John. <laughs> okay. When this song debuted, the singer songwriter was only 16 years old. I'll play you this clip again. Yeah. yeah again, I do hear it, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think multiple choice. I would have it. All right. Wow. It's. I'm out of my, in my element. Dreams by Debbie Gibson. <gasps> right, De- yep, oh Debbie Gibson. Oh my yep. 
I could hear it. So it was released when she was only 16 years old. She actually wrote it two years before she even recorded it. So she's what, 14, 13, 14 year old years old writing hits. And it peaked at number four on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100. And ultimately the single was certified gold. All right, John, here is your, here is your next clue. There's no chance you can win, but just for fun, here we go. This is a, this is the first measure. Pressure's off. What's up? Pressure's off. Exactly. This is just for exhibition. This is just exhibition. That's right. Yeah, just victory lap. This is a 1988 song. Here is the first measure of the sax solo. Oh. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was hoping John would get this one. Oh, oh, oh. oh, oh, I don't think so. Going back to Cali. That's right. Hello, Cool J. Nice. Yay, John. Very Yay. good. I got one. I yeah. got one. What's, Cal, what's, what's the opposite of a victory lap? That's what I'm taking. Uh, walk of shame. A a defeat lap? lap? I'm taking a, a defeat lap. <laughs> defeat lap. Uh, in 1988, this single was released by LL Cool J. It's from the Lesson Zero soundtrack and as, as also was on his third album, Walking with a Panther. It was co-written and produced by Rick Rubin, peaking at number 31 on the Billboard Hot 100. The basic concept for the song was, was uh, Rubin's based on his profile. own ambivalence about possibly moving from New York to L.A. Ah. I don't think All right, so. and finally, and with the game with Dead is now five to two. I lied, I lied, John. It wasn't for exhibition. It was real, real consequences. Oh, that's okay. Yeah, uh, here is the well, final. It won't change clue. the outcome, though. Yeah, okay. I'm with you. Cat, uh, this is a 1980 song, and here is the first uh, measure from its sax solo. Oh my gosh! Can I hear it again? Uh, I'm probably going to be embarrassed for not being able to pin it, but okay. <laughs> I I can't come up with something. All right. All right, John, here's your clue. This is not an easy okay. clue, but there's something in this clue That's, that might help. All right. A pan-European magazine, Music and Media, called it, quote, another lightweight up-tempo tune, as Latin as ever, and a guaranteed hit. And this is 89, is that right? 89, yep. 89. Yeah. I can hear it once more. Wow. I mean, I, I could definitely hear it. It's like this song shattered and there's a shard of it there. And I'm like, yeah. I, I know I've seen that. Yes. I know that shape. Like I know what, yeah, I know what's going to connect to. Yeah. Ah, I'm not it's there. ringing a tiny, tiny, I know. Is head, it? But I, that is yeah. get on your feet by Gloria Estefan. Yeah, Estefan of the Miami sound machine. Right. Released in September, mm. uh, September of 1989 is the second single from Gloria's debut solo album cuts both ways. The song was written by John DeFaria, Jorge Casas, and Clay Ostwald. It hit number 11 on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100. Wow. All right. Is that count. all the songs? No more? Yeah. That was it. Oh. 10 songs. That's the end of the 80s. Those are all the sax though. songs. Yeah, it, it was. Yeah. Was we it? started with zero. Zero through we nine. 89. Hmm. Okay. So that's how numbers work. Did you not win by enough, Cat? <laughs> right. Do you need a bigger lead to <laughs> right. win by? No, I just was doing the math. I'm like, okay, I did this. He got this. We only did two more. Go. I feel like we only did eight mm-hmm. or nine. So look, okay. no, look, no one's ever going to replace the 80s, song, 80s music. That was the 80s music. You, it's not going to have 80s mm. music now. We've got folks and we've talked to plenty of them that uh, emulate mm. those types of sounds. I'm a big fan of a number of those folks. You know, I was thinking of Amorosa and their song, Amorosa. song Stay. Yeah, at the end, they have a, a yeah. There, there you go. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. But we, we can have yeah. contemporary music with saxos mm-hmm. that, you know, it could mm-hmm. be even modern sounding songs and still, sure. you know, yeah. uh, but they got it. People have to use the sax, I guess is ultimately what happens. Mm-hmm. To be All right. sexy. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I'm just going to uh, bask just, in the glory that I got the LL Cool J with. Yes. That's all I have really go. going for me Absolutely. here. He's so, long uh, and lean, legend in leather. Now you know what LL means. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that was the show. Our show was brought to you. 
every week, thanks in part to our early adopters like mm -hmm. Kathy Burke, Rick Parker, yeah. and Karen yep. Flieger. And hey, thank you especially to our Secret of Our Success Level Patreon supporters like Marcus Taylor, Tony Great, mm -hmm. Nick Guillory, John Great. Henderson, Craig Coletta, and Brad Bowman. <laughs> thank you so much, everybody, for supporting us and mm -hmm. to you yes. uh, for listening. And uh, if you'd also like to help uh, us produce the show every week, visit us at 1980snow.com slash support. There's tons of Ways that cost a dollar. One costs a dollar, I think. Some of them, mm -hmm. right? Dollar, mm -hmm. three dollars. Mm -hmm. uh, could mm -hmm. be uh, more than dollars. Or you could just do something free, like uh, sharing a post or uh, participating in a poll. We did take a, a survey yeah. of folks uh, that follow us on Facebook and in our green room, which is our patron-only uh, group on Facebook, mm -hmm. to find out what sax solos you love the most from the 1980s. And huh, because this doesn't seem like it's working well, I'm just going to call out what I, seems to be sure. the most popular <laughs> All right. For, as far Just as most, it, look for the yeah, yeah. The, what's great yeah. about this is they're color coded, so they kind of stand out. Oh, okay. Uh, but um, I don't know. It's not ideal Just, the way this is. Wing it. Anyway, yeah. Here you go. All right. So it looks like uh, the most popular. Maybe I should go backwards here. All right. So we've got votes for. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna tell you what the most popular is at the end here. Okay. Uh, we've mm -hmm. got a few votes for Arthur's theme, uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> Super Freak, Glamorous Life. Um, <laughs> if you leave is in there, someone oh. chose that one. Uh -huh. um, oh, sure. What you need. Mm -hmm. um, and then as we near the uh, most popular here, you've got, uh, looks like three are tied for the most popular, Ooh. including Careless Whisper. No surprise yeah. there. <laughs> Who can it be now? And uh -huh. this is kind of a surprise to me, except I think there was something rigged to somebody. What's the opposite of a uh, review dumping or bombing? Uh, <laughs> no, it wasn't poll, me. Poll Vote bombing or something? Yeah. Vote sure. groping. Uh, Rio <gasps> from Duran Duran. I the know. Oh, I know. Are you right? kidding? See? <laughs> Mm. It wasn't me. <laughs> Fixed. Yeah. Uh, and also it's we got the a best. <laughs> we got a comment here that I think is just fantastic from a supporter and listener to the show. John Henderson oh. writes with regard to our poll, yes. which was there were dozens on there from the 1980s. Not every, not every song because no. we couldn't. Mm -hmm. it's, it, it was impossible. It was already ridiculously long. <laughs> you could have put other as well. But John, with regard to uh, that poll, he writes, and where is all, I'm going to, again, just like uh, with uh, John Mellencamp, I'm just going to, John, forgive me. I'm going to just give you whatever intonation I think is associated with how I read Oh, this. yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's hear this. <laughs> uh, and there is, where is all that jazz by Breathe? That song opens with not one, but two sax solos, tenor and soprano. Wow. And throws in two more before the final verse for good measure. What? <laughs> Did nobody else fall in love with a girl from another town at summer church camp have hands for to heaven as their song by the cassette of Breed's album as soon as they got home from camp, memorize the entire album that week, play it on an endless loop the rest of the summer and fall until their teen church group went to the same out of the town dance at their long distance letter writing girlfriend. Go to the end of the line as, as their bus was loading to take them home just so they'd have a few extra seconds with their girlfriend who was beautiful by the way who oh. nobody believed existed and have their first kiss in front of a whole busload of their classmates no just me <laughs> maybe that's why breeze isn't on the list that sounds oddly specific yeah, I don't know. almost as if it were based on something more than yeah. just supposition I don't know. I don't think That's he took story. a breath while typing that. I know Will yeah. didn't really breathe while reading it. I think he worked a lot of stuff out. And so we're happy to provide that service as we provide that service to one another every week. Right. All right. We're providing that and much, many more services next week when we talk to you uh, then. 
when we talk to you next time on 1980s Now. Until next time. End of line. This podcast is part of the 80s Ruled Network. Visit the 80s Ruled on Facebook for more 1980s awesomeness.